Good afternoon. Today is Monday, the 22nd of January, 2024, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Brian Gerrish. I'm delighted to have with me Alex Thompson, uh, speaking from the Netherlands, and uh, Mark Anderson joining us from the United States. Now, we're going to kick straight off with just a little bit of an update on Ukraine. Ukraine, as far as the legacy media are concerned, certainly in the UK, has slipped into the background. Talk about a frozen front and uh, many of the maps not updated. But the truth is that there's in a lot happening and it's not looking good for Ukraine. Now, I want to give praise to the uh, um, social media bloggers who are posting some really accurate and timely information. I've always chosen a selection, but I want to, to thank those people for their information uh, because it does allow us to have a, a very good update to the situation. I've just chosen these today, so let's come straight in. This is Free Russia uh, Channel, and the headline says it all, the situation deteriorates. And uh, the image here that I've chosen from his excellent report is the hev heavily fortified city of Adivka. Um, this is the city um, in which the Ukrainians are heavily dug in and have been for many years. And this is the base city that the Ukrainians have used for shelling civilian areas, uh, largely Donetsk, but other places as well. Um, what does the graphic show us that uh, over the last couple of days, uh, the Russians using Spetsnaz forces have made some really impressive gains in the south-southwest, which means that they are now moving into this territory. Uh, this is uh, another, another online site, HS Mapping, a rather different style, but they animate uh, the reports with some pretty, uh, pretty dynamic music. Uh, but what I wanted to stress here is that although we've got flags moving on the screen, what this represents is pretty vicious fighting in much of it in close quarters. Quarters, and this is the Russians uh, penetrating some very, very heavy Ukrainian defense belts uh, to move into the southern areas of, of, De of Divka itself. And this means that the Russians have now started the real battle uh, to capture this stronghold. Um, viewers and listeners can consider this as uh, Bakhmud Mark II. Um, if we return uh, to this screenshot from HS Mapping, uh, what we're seeing, of course, is the scale of the front. Many people uh, simply don't understand that we have a uh, thousand plus kilometers of front and there's action on a lot of that at the moment as the Russians are now um, moving forward and the Ukrainians are moving into defense. But uh, this is showing us a possible uh, Russian encirclement. And if we come uh, back to the Free Russia channel here, uh, the red lines are indicative of other Russian attacks, which are over to the west of Adivka. Uh, but of course, these are all part of securing the flanks. So we can be quite sure that the Russians are on the move here. Um, if we look at the BBC, very significant, really nothing about what's actually happening on the battlefield. Most of this is uh, puff piece to support Ukrainian attacks. Uh, there is a report on the U Ukrainian hit on um, uh, the latest hit on um, 
Russian-held territory where a lot of civilians were killed. Uh, but I've indicated with the arrow in the bottom right here the fact that the um, BBC map of the war in Ukraine has not been updated since the 20th of December 2023. And the reason for this is, of course, that the Ukrainians have not moved forward at all. On the contrary, they're now beginning to suffer from a lack of manpower, ammunition, weapons, and uh, the fact that they cannot hold in many areas uh, the Russian advances. Um, if we look at how Ukraine reports the situation, this is Kiev Post. And of course, the big headline here is the drone attack on the Russian gas terminal near St. Petersburg. But the reality is that this sort of attack is not going to stop uh, the Russian uh, progress in Ukraine or the demise of Russia on the battlefield. So this is largely a puff piece, but this is the material, of course, picked up uh, by the BBC. If we have a look at uh, Twitter or X, as it now is, uh, to see what the uh, UK Ministry of Defence is talking about, uh, well, here we've got them gloating uh, about the um, stated shooting down of a Russian AWACS airborne early warning plane, an A-50. This hasn't been confirmed, um, but uh, from, from my experience, if this has happened, it could have only happened by Ukraine having the full support, military support of the US and the UK. This is more of what the, U the UK has been up to. This is uh, Ministry of Defence talking about the training of 34,000 Ukrainians, taking them from civilians to soldiers in five weeks. 34,000 is the number, but the reality is that out of those, 10,000 will be dead and the remainder will be wounded. Here is a report from Military TV, one of the channels really delving into the casualties. This is the claimed casualties on the Russian side. Notice the fatalities there, 120,000. What nobody wants to talk about is Ukrainian casualties and Ukrainian obituary figures mentioned recently, 408,000. And the statement is that these are reports from within papers in Ukraine itself. Meanwhile, let's have a little look as to what um, uh, Grant Shapps, Secretary of State for Defence, has been saying. You warned people we are in a pre-war world. For our viewers, does that mean they should be listening to you this morning and expecting and preparing themselves for more conflicts in the years to come? Morning. Um, I think really, actually, as your panel were just saying, uh, we are clearly living in a far more complex world. The United Nations has just said that last year was the, the year with the most conflicts since the Second World War. And the point I was making, without wanting to frighten anyone or, 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 or raise uh, concerns which are unwarranted, because I don't think that is a, a good approach, is we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to understand the era in which we are living, where both states and more irrational ones like Iran, North Korea, and non-state actors, the Houthis uh, that we've seen uh, active in the Red Sea, mm. I was in the Red Sea last week, to, to thank uh, our, our, our people on HMS Diamond uh, and many other groups who we would have thought in the first part of this century were the non-state actors, Daesh and all the rest of them, joining together and using more sophisticated weapons. It and so all of that combines. To 
Well, there we are. And uh, I'll say this to Alex in particular. He seems delighted that there's the prospect of war war and more war. Um, but what are, what are they organising in the background with their agreements, Alex? security cooperation agreement signed between the two executives of Ukraine and the United Kingdom. So this is President Zelensky signing directly with His Majesty's government. The respective parliaments <coughs> and courts do not get much of a look in. This continues a trend that UK Column has been reporting on for some time. Bilateralization started by the British Ministry of Defence to make sure that France, Germany, Poland and a number of other countries uh, had one-to-one -one agreements with us as if uh, Brexit had never happened for defence purposes. Uh, I found that there was some highfalutin language in the recitals, but looking at the meat of the text, as many parts I could pick out, and viewers are very welcome to go to the show notes and read this properly to pour over its eight or nine main sections. Just from section two, where the main aspirations are set out after the uh, initial blather, uh, we see that the United Kingdom projects itself in this piece, and by the way, it refers to Ukraine as they. Uh, there's a lot of illiterate drafting going on these days. But the UK sets out uh, directly that it is a leading defence and security partner for Ukraine, and it aims in this cooperation to support an independent, democratic and sovereign Ukraine within its internationally recognised borders, uh, which is somewhat dubious language. Do they mean the borders that are obtained at the, the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union? Um, do they mean Crimea and Donbass? Is it a shifting goalpost? Uh, could the phrase be re-argued to mean uh, in time the, the, the vaunted international community will recognise uh, Ukraine sans uh, Donetsk and sans Crimea? Uh, what are we committing ourselves to? And of course, the Ukraine is there to be a NATO membership accelerator. Here's the stuff that really I think you will balk at as an old Navy man. And in fact, there's a whole marine section just below this point. But still in section two, the United Kingdom pledges in particular to support Ukraine's development of a navy and the sea guard, the coast guard, able to exercise mine clearance, uh, maritime reconnaissance, patrols, coastal defence. I don't know whether we can do all these things with our navy, Brian, in uh, the, the English Channel, let alone the Black Sea. But there you are. And we're also pledging to support the armed forces of Ukraine, what's left of them after what you've just indicated, as they develop into future force design. So, so Britain is Star Wars. It's, it's planning uh, the nice-to-haves of the Ukrainian future, um, even as Britain and Ukraine are running out of actual men and actual equipment. It's all about interoperability, being a forward leg of NATO without the actual membership. Here towards the end of the agreement, is the real hook that we are now on, as I say, without Parliament getting involved, because that's how treaties work. Cooperation in the event of future armed attack. Any future Russian invasion, so this is already foreseeing an ignoble ceasefire, uh, half a million deaths later than necessary, but saying that in future, any repeat of February 2022, Britain is saying unilaterally, without the UN Security Council even voting on it, that would violate the UN Charter and international law, and then within 24 hours, Britain will, what, rush to the front? No, consult with Kiev to determine measures needed. And it knows, in these cases, it would give troops? No. Security assistance, military equipment, economic assistance. So blank checks for um, manufacture of local uh, uh, military goods with British um, intellectual property made in Ukraine, which is uh, outlined elsewhere in this treaty, and sanctioning Russia. Uh, I don't know where, how far this is really likely to go, 
But we're not alone in this. The French press has been saying that now the British have signed a security uh, agreement directly with Kiev, perhaps foreseeing that NATO and uh, the US will be out of the game soon with the current Ukrainian regime. The French have now saying we should do likewise. And while that's not mentioned in this piece by Le Parisien, um, it is mentioned elsewhere. And what is Le Parisien saying here? It has an interview with the French Armed Armed Forces Minister Sébastien Lecornu, who says we have to hold on in our military support to Ukraine. As the interview progresses, he says, it's, I'm, I'm sick of these stories of exhausted stocks in Western military arsenals. What I need to do now is be a matchmaker. So Mr. Le Cornu's job as a minister now, I think he's speaking for other continental and Anglo-Saxon governments as well, is he saying, I will get my manufacturers, in his case, the ones in, in Bergerac in the southwest who produce the, uh, the cannons, the Caesar cannons, I'm going to put them directly in touch with the Ukrainians and see what they can sort out for themselves. So in the piece, Mr. Le Cornu says uh, that he wants to uh, produce 78 of these big 155mm Caesar wheeled self-propelled guns, the kind uh, that would perhaps replace what's being pummeled in Avdivka. Um, It's noteworthy, says the piece, Le Parisien, that France itself has fewer of these cannons in service than were announced in production for Ukraine. And indeed, the military analyst who sent this to me said in his own right the following. For reference, the French production rate of Caesar was less than one a month prior to the outbreak of the war, which Nexter, the French manufacturer of Caesar cannons, claims to have increased, you can read the piece for the claims, uh, to eight in one month. So the order of uh, 78 would take 10 months to fulfill, even if the French funding is there and even if Nexter can keep up uh, the additional uh, pace, which is questionable. France itself will be depleted. Uh, likewise, the Germans are doing similar things with Israel, which we'll get to later. They're, they're uh, pledging their stocks directly to that uh, that war zone. Uh, while this is all going on, we shouldn't forget that last year we drew attention to this, that Chatham House, uh, the supreme think tank, uh, had already told the British government over its own head uh, that it was going to have uh, a new momentum for British-French defence cooperation. So there's a triangle going on here. If the French sign such an agreement, it will be a three-way What skin does France have in the game? Well, here's one sobering issue, um, which is just to be uh, borne in mind uh, in in closing. The names on screen are too small for most people to read, but these are the French citizens who perished in uh, Kharkiv recently in the uh, International Legion to defend Ukrainian territory. And in amongst the Caucasian names there, Zurab Akhalkatsi, a Georgian, uh, Hussein Arsmozaev, uh, presumably a Chechen. You do have lots of native-born uh, French of, of French stock as well uh, who've been sent to die in this. Again, uh, under the radar, it, France would claim this was nothing official. Uh, but the same is true of any Western country, losing men by the dozens now in these foreign legions. Alex, thank you very much for that. And of course, those Caesar guns not lasting, lasting long on the battlefield and not liked by the Ukrainians themselves because of their inability to cope with the uh, very muddy conditions, uh, having wheels as opposed to tracks. Well, uh, we'll have more to say about Ukraine, but uh, let's bring Mark Anderson in. And uh, Mark, we're still on the subject of treaties yeah, uh, very much so, only of a different sort. And uh, James Roguski, the noted LA-based researcher that's really been doing Yaman's work on scanning the content and progress of the pandemic treaty and the international health regulations, he's got this posting at his blog, it's time to yell at the U.S. government, and it cannot be overstressed, Brian, that that day is today. 
we're right on a deadline and the time difference is in favor of UK and European viewers. Uh, let's move on from that. Why should we yell at the US government? Well, let's find out. A little something I wrote here, silence is consent, LA-based WHO researcher James Roguski said regarding much needed public input on the proposed pandemic agreement or treaty, Roguski has announced that any concerned person anywhere in the world has an urgent opportunity today, Monday, the 22nd of January, to email the Office of Global Affairs of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The deadline is 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time today, which is 10 p.m. today, U.K. time, and a bit later throughout Europe. Check the time differences to confirm, et cetera. Moving on from there, uh, a little more substance to this from the website of James Roguski, jamesroguski.substack.com. Roguski is R-O-G-U-S, like Sam, K-I. Everyone on earth is invited to submit your written comments via email to oga.rsvp at hhs.gov. This will be in the show notes before 5 p.m. Eastern U.S. time today on Monday, January 22nd. Quote, it has to do with written comment regarding implications of access and benefit sharing, commitments slash regimes and other proposed commitments in the WHO pandemic agreement. And we'll go on from there. This is a little more, I can cherry pick this a little bit. The, this is James Roguski's writing, the tens of billions of dollars that might potentially be spent on pandemic prevention, preparedness and response would be much better spent, in his opinion, ensuring that safe potable drinking water and sanitary removal of wastewater be provided for everyone on earth. As they say, plumbers and uh, uh, garbage collectors have done more for human health than doctors. That's sometimes a, a noted saying. Anyway, these negotiations are in regards to what is essentially a trade dispute masquerading as a health issue that's beyond the competency of the WHO. Healthcare is not an enumerated authority of the federal government in the US. You have zero lawful authority regarding health. Healthcare is an issue that must be controlled by the 50 states as directed by the people of each state. And these regulations must be terminated immediately. This is what James Roguski is advising. Uh, a little bit more, the search for pathogens with pandemic potential and the plan to build a global laboratory, laboratory network to facilitate genetic sequencing as they thinly veil the skies for bioweapons research, Mr. Roguski is asserting. The use of ventilators, uh, Paxlovid, et cetera, and most other pharmaceutical interventions have been an absolute health and financial disaster for everyone except the pharmaceutical industry. And I'll note briefly that here in the States, Brian, um, TV stations that have lots of different affiliates, but are based with like NBC, for instance, the Cozy stations, C-O-Z-I, they play a lot of different TV dramas. They're owned by NBC and they play Pfizer ads around the clock for Paxlovid and the RSV vaccine. So the, the media is getting more um, entwined with Pfizer, intertwined with Pfizer all the time. Any, uh, anyway, getting back to Mr. Um, Roguski's writings here, just a little more, any discussion or any attempt to control or even monitor our inalienable right to free speech must be opposed and destroyed in its entirety. This is an important point, listen to this. The WHO, the FDA, and the CDC are the true source of the infodemic, and they are the greatest providers of mis-, dis-, and mal-information. 
uh, cons- are, uh, summarizing here, the mRNA platform and the coercion used to implement it has been such an absolute disaster that those who promoted and implemented it, implemented it are guilty of crimes against humanity. And these, Ryan, are um, Roguski's writings, and they're kind of the recommended approach that he's providing for those that want to contact the um, Office of Global Affairs of HHS. That email will be in the show, no- show notes. And here's some final contact information because Mr. Roguski is not shy about giving out his phone number. He uh, recommends it. Here's his email for starters, james.roguski at gmail.com. Again, Roguski, R like Roger, O-G-U-S-K-I, james.roguski at gmail.com. And his U.S. phone number, 310-619-3055. One more time, 310-619-3055. So if you go to that Substack website also, Brian, it gives you other um, options and more information. But reflecting a little bit on this last item, uh, this goes back in time a bit to one of the framers of the U.S. Constitution, Dr. Benjamin Rush, Rush MD, R-U-S-H. And listen to what he had to say. Unless we put medical freedom into the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privilege to others will be to constitute the Bastille of medical science. All such laws are un-American and despotic and have no place in a republic. The constitution of this republic should make special privilege for medical freedom as well as religious freedom. So he was basically saying medical freedom should have been given the same weight as freedom of speech and things like that. Pretty interesting. So back to you, Brian. Mark, thank you very much for that. And uh, just say to our audience, yes, James Rogusley, amazing man, very happy to speak to anybody, very modest, but he's done such tremendous work in challenging what's been going on around uh, the uh, pandemic and uh, um, the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, here in UK, we'd also point a finger at the MHRA and say that this organization, which claims to protect us, is clearly not doing that at all. It is working with the pharmaceutical industry. Well, if you're watching us, wherever you are in the world, we'd like to say, please become a member of UK Column and support us. We can only do what we do with your financial support. If you uh, become a member, you may like to get involved with our community where you can talk and uh, chat with other like-minded people. Uh, You can also help us by shopping uh, via our online shop. And remember, of course, that we have got some health products now with the kind support of Clive DeCarle. And uh, the information we're putting out, we're doing this for this information to be shared far and wide uh, because the aim is to inform as many people as possible. So if you're a viewer or listener, you can help us with this. But do think about becoming a member of UK Column. Um, Now, a couple of adverts uh, from us. Uh, The first one is... um, the release of this interview, Dr. Ahmed Malik. Uh, this is a gentleman who's been through the NHS system, realized that there are things going on which he does not like, approve. Uh, and uh, when he's spoken out, that system has turned on him very strongly. So have a listen to this uh, 
interview and uh, see what this gentleman says about how he's been treated by the system simply for speaking out as a professional. I'd also like to uh, put up the interview which I did a little while, a couple of days ago with Sam Nass. This is the lady who was trafficked, found sanctuary in uh, UK, but then had her children taken from her by the uh, UK child protection system. Um, an amazing lady. I will be doing more with Sam, uh, but this is an incredible testimony if you have not already heard this. And also we'd like to say that uh, uh, we've got this interview coming out tomorrow at one o'clock. And this is your good self, Mark, uh, speaking with Pastor Matt Truella. And this is on the subject of doctrine of the lesser magistrates. And really this ties in um, uh, very nicely with um, James Roguski because James is saying everybody needs to stand up and challenge what's happening. Uh, well, in the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, uh, the first people who should be standing up to challenge what is going on is anybody in a position of power, whether they're an elected member of a council or a city, uh, a city authority or a city state or even here in the UK, a lowly parish councillor, these people should be standing up uh, in order to challenge bad law, which is coming down from Parliament or on high. And I'll pass over now to um, Alex, because you've got an excellent interview. Well, it was a discussion that you carried out with Ben Rubin. Tell us a bit more. There's a large Christian slice of our audience that wants to know more about how the churches and individual Christians should view the current Middle East conflict, which is always the case when there is a conflict uh, in and around the Holy Land, but now more so than ever. And so Ben Rubin, who has become uh, pronouncedly interested in this question, gave me a, a further grilling on the back of the Delling, Delling pod that I recently did with James Dellingpole. You'll find the Delling pods already by searching for Delling pod or Delling pole on ukcolumn.org. This will be up this afternoon on ukcolumn.org as an embedded feature, as well as being on Ben, uh, ben Rubin's uh, commendable substack, riseuk.substack.com, one of the two that he manages. As regards the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, it's worth noting Ecclesiastes 5 verse 8 for those who want biblical references. I, I recently found that it is right there. But let's go on to the Swedish situation. Uh, we see that Peter Emanuelsson, known as Peter Sweden uh, for his reporting, who tends to be ahead of the curve in reporting what's going on in his native land, has got two pieces on his blog, which he both labels huge. Now, people might not like the screaming style of that, but he's rarely uh, out of kilter when he mentions these things. What he's following here is that the Swedish scene has completely changed politically, although it's a notoriously uh, social democratic country. The countries around the Social Democratic Party are no longer in office. There is a coalition of Christian Democrats, liberals and moderates, with a, 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 um, a toleration arrangement or a, a supply, confidence and supply arrangement, we call it in Britain, with the Sweden Democrats. These are Freddie, uh, uh, Jimmy Orkerson's uh, party, well known for their strident, trenchant opposition to globalism in its many forms. Because they are holding the purse strings at the moment with their votes in the bag, the, the confidence and supply agreement, the, the uh, Sweden Democrats have an outside influence on the course of the government and parliament in Stockholm. So first of all, Peter Sweden reports that Sweden is scrapping its Agenda 2030 goals. Now, cynics might say, well, they're, they've got there anyway, so this is just a, a post hoc or after the fact thing. 
But he's reporting there, let's put it back on screen, that the crucial thing is that they're turning off the lifeblood to the local councils, the municipalities and regions, which, as we've often reported in all the English-speaking countries, is where the action is to uh, implement Agenda 2030. And over the Christmas break, um, the government uh, removed Agenda 20 goals uh, even from the uh, national arm's length executive agencies, energy, chemicals, water management, food, etc., those that have a huge influence over people's lives in Western countries. And here's the original source from Aktuel Horvarheit uh, reporting that the, uh, the government is scrapping Agenda 2030 goals. This is a scrap. The Heer Erin Skrutnik. So it's as uh, straightforward as that. Peter Emanuelsson's translation of the key paragraph by Martin Kindunen, who speaks for, on these matters for the Sweden Democrats, is there is no value in Agenda 2030 work and we welcome this scrapping. So it can be done. Uh, likewise, he's reporting another development in Stockholm. Uh, Mr. Emanuelsson reports that who would have thought it? The last country in the world you would have, you would have expected. Uh, again, it might be shutting the, shop, the stable door after the horses bolted in some cynics' minds. But the Minister for Financial Markets, uh, Niklas Wigman, said we can't have people unable to pay by cash. He hasn't gone out, gone out and said it in, in, in such terms. But unlike Britain, which repeatedly has said, even when there's petitions, we don't intend to force shops to take cash as legal tender when it's not a debt. No, Sweden is seemingly going that far. So Tietning and Neris leave it has that uh, uh, headline, government says one must be able to pay by cash. Again, it could happen in Britain if we got our act together. Okay, thank, thank you very much for that, uh, Alex, and good to see people challenging the system. Uh, let's bring uh, Mark back on, and uh, what have we got going on with Davos, which of course is the seat of a lot of 20, uh, Agenda 2030 and other material. Is a little too much, right? Too much to stomach, sometimes too much to comprehend. Um, of course, that's that annual confab in the hills of Switzerland in Davos. And it just wound up, in fact, the uh, 2024 um, get together. Here we have one of the noted mRNA um, uh, inventors, basically, but critics of the COVIDocracy, Dr. Robert Malone. He's been right up there with Peter McCullough, right from here in Texas. And this is from Malone's Substack, rwmalonemd.substack.com, Disease X, the mysterious Disease X, and the corrupt Lancet. Of course, that's the medical journal. The globalists launched their new weapon to take over the world, and this is Mr. Malone's writing. It is Davos World Economic Forum Week, which just wound up, and the mass media cartel, as I call it, hysterical propaganda push from the globalists regarding Disease X is in full swing. Just take a gander at a few of the corporate Mockingbird media headlines today, and those headlines from The Sun, a British tabloid, and several other media outlets, Brian, on both sides of the pond, are basically saying that Disease X potentially might be, maybe will, become 20 times more deadly than COVID-19 was, meaning that it could result in up to 50 million, five zero, 50 million global deaths. No fear porn there, right? Well, here we have another item, uh, and this is from The Hill, the noted D.C. journal in Washington. Why fears over a triple-demic are surging? Uh, last year, I reported on bird flu being another candidate, but that's been put on the back burner, evidently. But what The Hill is saying here, a little bit of um, a paraphrase that I wrote in this column, it's more or less my writing, Cases of three major respiratory viruses, the flu, the conventional flu, COVID-19, and RSV 
are surging in the U.S., that's RSV, pushing the country toward a feared triple-demic during its first post-pandemic respiratory and viral season. Optimism was high this autumn as the U.S. headed into the viral season, but now confidence, confidence, we're told, is waning. Accessing the vaccine for RSV or respiratory syncytial virus has been a struggle for many, and enthusiasm for the new COVID-19 vaccines turned out to be abysmal. Oh, how terrible the new vaccines weren't as popular as we were told. COVID-19 hospital admissions reportedly, allegedly, have been rising since November, and wastewater detection indicates most sites, 69%, are seeing large increases in virus levels. So the the, uh, fear porn is uh, going up appreciably. And now we have a little something from your friend and mine, the Director General of the WHO, Tedros, and I believe we have a video clip, and I can comment a little bit after that. And of course, it's our honor always to have Dr. Tedros uh, with us, the Director General of the World Health Organization. And Dr. Tedros, may I ask you to answer that very simple question to start with? Thank you. Can, can you rephrase maybe the question? Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> the, at, at the highest level, um, what do you think health systems should prioritize for an effective response to a potential crisis? Yeah. I think that's a, a big question, but I would like to start with um, especially the disease X, it's um, attracting a lot of attention. And I hope you have seen in the social media. Um, But it's not a new idea. Um, The first time we used the terminology was in 2018. Um, The discussions were in 2017. I was just new director general. Uh, As you know, we annually list the emerging diseases Uh, and uh, MERS could be one, Zika, (coughs) Ebola, those we know. But then we said there are things that are unknown that may happen, and anything happening is a matter of when, not if. So we need to have a placeholder for that, for the disease we don't know that may come. And that was when we gave the name Disease X, So that's Tedros' explanation for disease X. It's like an empty chair at the table at Thanksgiving. Somebody just might sit down to take that seat. In this case, it's leaving room for a contemplated disease. But if you listen to more of what Tedros has to say there, Brian, just to summarize, he kind of said that at one time, COVID-19 was the disease X, and it turned out to be true. It came upon us. So it's anybody's guess as to when they might spring this, but the timing with the upcoming May 27 deadline for the pandemic treaty is is rather curious. And it seems like Tedros, uh, the WHO, and the media are all uh, ratcheting up this fear porn, Brian, right as that treaty deadline approaches in May. So we've all got to be very cautious and take action on Roguski's um, recommendation that I gave earlier today to contact the US HHS. So very pivotal stuff going on right now, very timely. Mark, thank you very much for that excellent uh, report. And of of course, many of these decisions made by completely unaccountable people in rooms that the public are never going to get near. So it's up to us to do what we can by other routes. Let's just uh, return to the subject of the uh, British military. And of course, uh, Grant, 
uh, Schaps, Secretary of State for Defence, has been getting very excited that HMS Diamond has been shooting down drones. And um, as a result of this, uh, some 405 million of extra investment are going into upgrading the warhead of, of the Sea Viper missiles and the software to make them even more effective. Uh, well, the reality is, of course, that uh, this means the Royal Navy is using hugely expensive missiles to shoot down uh, reasonably cheap drones. And this is going to give a problem in the long term. We will be losing the economic war. Uh, but are these ships really capable of dealing with the threat and hypersonic missiles? I would doubt it very much. But let's have a little look at the uh, prowess of the Royal Navy with respect to mine sweeping, mine hunting, uh, which is something that, of course, is being pushed to the Ukrainians. Uh, well, there we are. Pretty unpleasant collision between uh, HMS Chiddingfold, which was the ship going astern, and HMS Banger, which was the ship alongside. Um, some pretty horrific damage done. We can have a look at this uh, photograph shown in the sun. Um, so major damage to the whole of uh, HMS Banger, and this is going to take considerable time to uh, check out and repair. Um, what's the cause of this? Well, the uh, Ministry of Defence at the moment is saying it was some form of mechanical breakdown, but of course we just don't know. Um, but certainly the conditions for the manoeuvring of those two ships, very calm, and that shouldn't have been a problem for them at all. So we wait, wait to see what the Ministry of Defence has to say. But as you will see in this segment, uh, the UK military in deep trouble right the way across the three services. Uh, I just took a look at the um, X profiles of these two ships. Shitting fold on the left, a hunt class mine, uh, mine hunter, beg your pardon, an HMS Banger, a Sandown class mine countermeasures vessel. Um, nothing has been said from, uh, from uh, um, the end of last year. And uh, so we haven't got any updates directly from the ships themselves. But what I'll add to this is uh, this report from Shepard, which talks about the Royal Navy decommissioning mine hunters ahead of transfer to Ukraine. Uh, so I've put a, a title in there, UK warships given away. But this is the reality. We haven't got enough military equipment to defend UK, but we've always got military equipment to be given away to other nation states, particularly Ukraine. Remember also that over the last few days, we highlighted the tragic state of the Royal Navy where they'd been forced to advertise for a rear admiral to run submarine operations. I find this very difficult to say because it's almost unbelievable, not only submarine operations, but our nuclear deterrent. Uh, the only way they could think of finding somebody suitable uh, was to advertise on LinkedIn. This, to me, shows complete breakdown of the UK military. 
uh, but we've got other people warning about this. Let's have a look at this little video clip with Marc Francois, former Armed Forces Minister. The army is like a patient bleeding out on the, on the table in the operating theatre. If we can't stem that loss of blood, eventually the patient will die. This is really, really serious. I'm not crying wolf. I've been told this privately by very senior officers within the Ministry of Defence who can see what is happening. In 10 years' time, the British Army will have only 50,000 soldiers. That is small enough to fit inside Manchester City's football stadium. The projections by The Times are based on the current rates of the loss, really, of army personnel, i.e. a recruitment crisis. European and American generals have now questioned whether the UK can still be considered a top-level fighting force. Our greatest weakness now is not all the procurement disasters of the last 30 years which are about which there have been legion reports mm. our greatest weakness is people because however much you spend on equipment a billion for a destroyer and so on if you haven't got the skilled personnel to maintain it such that it can't go to sea it's no good to you tied up against the harbour wall and the context is where we now are is that for every one person that joins the British Armed Forces, three are leaving. So there we are. That's the truth of the uh, matter. The RN is in, Royal Navy is in trouble. The Army is in trouble. The Air Force is in trouble. Uh, this is designed incompetence. Um, and where is the problem coming from? Well, we get some sort of idea if we look at, at uh, Ministry of Defence adverts. This is one for the Royal Navy. Um, the image is very much lip gloss and uh, not on functioning um, Royal Navy sailors professionally doing their job. This one is incredible because it's basically from the uh, website talking about the Royal Fleet Auxiliaries. These are the support ships for the fleet. And uh, I've said that the Ministry of Defence lies to the public about these ships. And of course, they absolutely are lying because if we look at the report, which we also mentioned a few days ago from the UK Defence Journal, the headline is Britain has zero active naval supply ships for the first time. I'll just run this on screen very quickly because this is the... Uh, text talking about what's going on. So not only have we not got these supply ships operating, we can't operate the aircraft carriers properly uh, because, um, because we don't have those supply ships. Meanwhile, on the websites presented to the uh, UK public, we're talking as if we have a fully functioning um, fleet. Um, Alex, just very quickly, it's almost getting difficult to uh, comment on this uh, because um, it is lies, lies, misinformation and more lies coming out of the Ministry of Defence. Uh, at the same time, we're talking about uh, standing up and almost having a world war with Russia. Yet there's nothing new under the sun, Brian. Uh, war with Russia started to be a, a drumbeat we heard 20 years ago when I was at GCHQ. And in that era, somebody casually said, uh, senior officers are saying the Royal Navy is not a, an organisation you can have a career in. There's no progression. There'll be no ships for you. Uh, to join when you get to, to mid-grade. So that was known 20 years ago. You could go back 40 years, couldn't you, to the Not Review of 1981. Uh, we have all the time on, timelines on ukcolumn.org. Uh, nobody can say in government that they didn't see it coming. Okay, thank you for that. Well, take us on to the subject of Israel.
Uh, every week there are some new horrors in Israel. Uh, currently, the problem is uh, more on the television than with the, the cabinet ministers we covered in extra time next uh, last week. So Channel 14 here, I only have a few stills and it's been picked up by Al Jazeera for its uh, outrageousness. As a gentleman, and I'm sorry I don't know the journalist's name, it's a journalist, uh, not a, a politician here. Uh, it says, war crimes, that's me. I don't care if I'm criticised, I know they're collecting material. He goes on, I can't get to sleep without watching homes in Gaza being destroyed. What can I do? He adds volubly with his arms, arms up in the air. Uh, and he finishes the segment by saying, more, more, more homes and more buildings. That is, he wants to see them destroyed. I don't want to have them, that's the people of Gaza, to have anything to come back to. And you'll see the menorah there. And this is not a particularly uh, secular station. Uh, it's one that aims to bridge the gap between secular and Israeli Jews. The controlling shareholder in Channel 14 is uh, Yitzhak Miralashvili, a Georgian Jew, who is also actually the founder of VK, or Vkontaktia, the main Russian language uh, social media website. And he set it up, I understand, or controls the, 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 the interest there, in order to bring together the sports chatter, uh, the religious and the secular. So this is really does seem to be mainline Israeli opinion. At least it's being tolerated in that regard. The German government, notoriously close, of course, to Israel in defense matters, has meanwhile said, Der Spiegel now picked up by Reuters, that it is considering delivering tank ammunition directly to Israel, uh, an echo of what we saw with France and Britain with other war zones earlier in the news today. So the two departments, the German and the Israeli department responsible in government, have, uh, sorry, the two departments in Germany have agreed to fulfil a request from the Israeli government. They weren't given, going to give a chapter and verse on it, but they have, in principle, said that they will. That's 10,000 rounds of precision ammunition at 120 millimeter caliber for the Israeli army, and that was requested in Berlin. But look, since German industry cannot desire this precision ammunition immediately, the option is being considered of first giving them German army stocks, and then Germany can see to replenishing its own stuff in slower time, because nobody's likely to invade Germany, are they? But also we have some video to go along with this. Uh, in extra time last week, we showed uh, the Minister of National Security, Mr. Ben Gavir, being his usual outrageous self. Here it's getting a bit closer to the bone. In this very short segment, <coughs> which is subtitled, you will see where he predicts the people of Gaza will go when they have been expelled forever from their homeland as he hopes. <laughs> אני חושב שהפתרון לאותם אזרחים זה לעודד את הגירתם, ואני חושב שאם אנחנו נכריע וננצח, אפשר בהחלט בהחלט ליצור גם מול ממשלת סקוטלנד, שראיתי שמאוד רוצים אותם בסקוטלנד, גם מול מדינות אחרות, אנחנו שמענו אפילו את ניקי איילי שמדברת על זה, אפשר לעודד, לעשות איזשהו מבצע גדול של להעביר אותם. So if you're listening in audio only, you might only have picked up the phrases Scotland and Nikki Haley. Yes, indeed, they are going to Scotland and who knows, perhaps our native state of South Carolina, uh, because he seems to have uh, made agreements with Humza Yousaf um, and with the uh, that rep Republican presidential candidate, respectively. So news perhaps to the people of Britain and America, but the Palestinians are earmarked for there. We heard Ireland mentioned earlier in the year as well. So the policy, Alex, is to get them out of Gaza, to get them out of uh, Israel and to push them elsewhere. Is, am I correct? 
That's it. The, the idea is make life intolerable for them. As you see, that's borne by quite a large proportion of Israeli society now as a concept. And Ben Gavir goes out and says what others think. He says there's no problem with uh, you know being told a sob story that they've got nowhere to go to. Lots of progressive Western governments want to have their, as he would put it, their, their token Palestinian. So let's all just ship them off there. Yeah, wonderful. Um, thank you, Alex. Well, let's come back on to you, Mark, and talk about Donald Trump, the man, of course, who said uh, that if he's elected, he will stop the war in Ukraine. And I think he's got similar opinions on the war between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza. And uh, Trump is a back channeler. He'll tell the public and the press one thing, but he does his back channeling to a degree I know that partly from knowing his good friend, uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, I can discern a little bit from that. And had Trump been president, I don't think what's going on in Gaza would be happening, in my opinion. Now, that might be a stretch, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, we have a slide here. Uh, Trump, like him or not, good or ill, is making some amazing strides and maybe capturing one of the earliest GOP nominations for president in history. Uh, here we have Trump trounces in Iowa, both Vivek Ramaswamy, there I got that right, and Ron DeSantis drop out and they're both backing Trump. When Vivek stopped running to back Trump, he used the words, and they got together in New Hampshire right after Iowa, he used the words permanent state, deep state, and shadow government talking to a very enthusiastic public in the wake of Trump winning Iowa. Trump won Iowa with 51% of the vote. The other 49% was divided by DeSantis at just over 21%. Nikki Haley, who's barely still in the running, 19.1% in Iowa, and Vivek at 7.7%. So that leaves only Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. Uh, a brief comment about what Vivek said to the public there. It's interesting that he'd use deep state, permanent state, shadow government, because what that says, Brian, is even if he's just playing the public, I don't think he is, but even if he's just tickling their ears and telling them what they want to hear, it's interesting that they have to talk to the public that way to get their interest. In other words, it's become mainstream in a presidential primary, a very high profile thing with all of this televised on national mass media cartel stations. It's become mainstream to talk about deep state, to talk about permanent state, to talk about shadow government. Even five to 10 years ago, those things would have practically been spiked from any uh, national mainstream coverage. So that's an interesting dynamic in and of itself, regardless of the candidates and what you may think of them. But anyway, uh, just moving on with one more item in this report. Well, actually, two. This is one of them. Reuters, our friends at Reuters did a fact check. U.S.-born Nikki Haley is eligible to be president based on citizenship. And without going into a lot of detail, what this gets into is trying to debunk a Gateway Pundit article, which merely explored the question. It, it, it did not come down definitively. It just merely explored the question as to whether Nikki Haley would be eligible to run for president because when she was born in the early 70s, both her parents were Indian nationals and, and had not become naturalized in the U.S., so there's, you know, if the two parents are not born in the U.S. and the kid is simply born on U.S. soil, should that uh, person be eligible to run for president? The 14th Amendment is considered and the 12th Amendment, which has to do with how the U.S. elects the vice president and president, that's also considered. So there's this debate. But Reuters treated it like Gateway Pundit was being definite. All they were was exploring the question, is she eligible or not, exploring her background. And that's something that vexed Barack Obama, 
Ted Cruz, uh, and the current vice president, um, and others over uh, over time have had that same question, even John McCain, are they eligible to run for president based on their birth? So this is not the first time this has happened. And one other uh, parting item of interest here, Brian, is Representative Justin Amash, right from Battle Creek, Michigan area. He has he used to have Gerald Ford's old seat in the U.S. Congress. Gerald Ford was known to be on the Warren Commission on the JFK thing. Well, Justin Amash bowed out of Congress in the uh, around 2020-2021, and he's considering a Senate run. And I'll just give a brief read here. Former Michigan Congressman Justin Amash is born of Syrian and Palestinian parents. He lost relatives in an October 2023 Israeli airstrike and a church in Gaza, and he's seriously considering a U.S. Senate run. His father's family was displaced in the 1948 Nakba. So interesting that Justin Amash, who I met in 2012, had the pleasure of meeting him at a town hall meeting. Interesting that he's considering a Senate run of Palestinian heritage. So that's something else to watch besides just the presidential drama. So there you go, Brian, back to you. Mark, thank you very much. Incredible times that we're living in. Uh, incredible end of the world. Alex, over to you. Yes, I'm glad to see that in the queue window, you're able to read the German there very well. Uh, just to remind people of uh, only one quarter of Der Spiegel's front covers, which have ever covered uh, Mr. Trump. Uh, this, so if there is a shadow government, it uses organs like this in each country. And in Germany, that would definitely be Der Spiegel. So the, the previous 19 covers have all been from the 2016-17 timeframe, or at least from that presidential term. So he was a flaming fireball or meteor. He was the end of the world as we know it. Uh, then he was a, a, a crazed, uh, blood-soaked head chopper with a knife, uh, proclaiming America first. And uh, none of this was counted as libel, of course, in Germany. Uh, he was a Ku Klux Klan um, devotee, um, uh, initiate at some point. Uh, he was also um, a, a, a screaming gorilla climbing the Washington Monument. But uh, here we are, uh, cover 20, and the show notes will include a link to all 20 titles, which, or at least the previous 19, which Der Spiegel is quite proud of, actually. But the new one, not on that list yet, is this, Dictator Trump, a scenario. So they're now telling us that he's going to be a dictator. And a lot of people do seem to have it in for Mr. Trump at this stage, because as uh, Marx just reported, he's cleared the decks to be the shoe-in for the Republican uh, nominee. Uh, let us hear a couple of minutes of hemming and hawing. It's worth listening to it in full, full though it's painful, um, because this is the heir apparent to the Soros empire, Alexander Soros. In fact, Alex Soros has taken over much of the running of the Soros business uh, and NGO network from, uh, from his father, George, already. Here he's asked, what about democracy? And he makes a number of admissions. And towards the end, he had, had proved himself completely unable uh, to string a sentence together about why he doesn't like Mr. Trump. Uh, but have a good listen to what he said here at Davos. Um, but um, you know, I um, I don't think that that's the I don't think that that's the fundamental. I don't think the technology is the fundamental issue uh, in in democracy. Democracy is messy. I mean, you know, democracy is about contestation of ideas. It's about uh, plurality. Um, it's about people having different truths. Actually, now mm. um, <laughs> fundamentally. Uh, how society lives together um, civically um, in those in those contestations um, is you know is obviously uh, is obviously um, you know quite uh, quite uh, you know quite tricky. But I think that if we play too much on this disinformation card, we're taking the responsibility away from ourselves to actually create a narrative that inspires people to vote and to believe 
uh, you know, in um, uh, in uh, in democracy and democratic um, institutions. And on the institutional part, I think that we can talk about uh, institutions as these abstract things, but institutions are also about people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, um, you know, we just heard this, this this point about untrustworthy people, and we talked about things in the United States, like you know like um, checks and balances, which aren't written anywhere, but are customs. And one man, Donald Trump, literally came in and just took that, you know, took that, took that all away. Um, you know, so, um, you know, so, um, you know, but when I see this, you know, when I look at this, um, you know, um, you know, uh, more globally regarding, regarding, you know, regarding democracy, I also say to myself, when was this great time that everybody got along so well, and you know things were going so so great. I mean, I think you know, um, um, you know the, um, you know, I think that we really have to be careful here, in you know, in this nostalgia uh, for a time, uh, you know, for a time past, because a lot of the reactions we're seeing in society are actually reactions to positive. Uh, to positive things like, you know, like equality uh, for women, um, you know, uh, and, um, uh, you know, and greater diversity, uh, which come with backlash. So there you have it. The uh, mealy-mouthed crown prince of the open society says it's all about them contestations and it's whatever those are. And uh, it's not apparently all about disinformation. He's warning his his own uh, 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 associates not to blame everything on the plebs and disinformation. Perhaps he got his gift of the gab from this shamanic incantation, which also happened at Davos. This is just a few seconds of Chief Des Putani Yawanawa from the Western uh, Brazilian Amazonian state of Acre performing some kind of rite uh, on the stage at the WEF. <laughs> Na no Camarro Anuri, no Camai, no Camuacá, na Anuri, no Yuyuá, na Wahon, Xinambu, Punk, and Tuxinã, Xavauakim, Xinambu, Kikirani, Tsang, Xavakirani, Tsang, Mukikirani. Awamawanã, Awamawanã, no Mahu, no Wai, Wai, Xarai. How COVID compliant, don't you think, right there at the top? Well, it's not the World Eloquence Forum, that's for sure. Uh, Just in closing on this, what has Mr. Soros been up to? Well, he's been gifting the public an article called The Great Normalization, allegedly about crime and inflation. And you'll see at the very bottom of the tweet that he got it from The Atlantic, uh, a well-known acerbic magazine which uh, loves to talk about how simply ghastly Trump and his voters are. But what's going on here with the image? I think there's a message in here. Here's the piece itself, The Great Normalization by Roger Kama. There is some guff from the middle of the piece about how simply absurd Trump is as the normalcy candidate. Lovely Atlantic language there. It's too much to bear. Um, And we're told what the voters are craving. It's not actually Trump. uh, They know better. But look again at this pair of images. This is supposedly to illustrate crime and inflation. So The left-hand image says, shoot, right? It's got a bullet hole in a pane of glass. 
The right hand has some dollars, but uh, if you look at the, the $10 note that's been uh, inverted and the 20 and you count them all together, you will get 20 plus 10 plus 10 plus 5 plus 1 plus 1. That is 47 bucks. So the pictogram here says, shoot 47. Uh, Mark, over you for just 10 seconds to say, to explain to a British audience and otherwise overseas, what shoot 47 means when it's signaled by the Atlantic. <laughs> I got to confess, I, I, the, the Atlantic is so vague and cryptic and off base and propagandistic. I don't, well, I don't want to comment right now. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I will just say go for ahead. my part, it is notable that the next president, likely to be Mr. Trump on current trends, would be the 47th president of the United States. Brian. Right. Well, I, I've just paused because, yeah, we've said it all. But I just I find it incredible that we can be so offensive on on uh, we, we talk about being nice to people in equality and then we can be so offensive to some people who don't fit the mold. We can talk more about this in extra time. I'm just going to say, uh, Alex, uh, take us on to uh, your final section. Uh, we're running a little bit shorter time here, so carry on through. Pakistan called Self-Tanu, uh, which is uh, telling people in that former Soviet and largely Muslim country that if they want to find out more about LGBTQ plus people, uh, or if they want to come to terms with themselves and those around them, or figure themselves out, here you'll find all the information you need. And here's another image from the site, which is, uh, I think, a preteen or early teen girl uh, crouched and, and in her own world and uh, under the weather. Uh, and she's saying, I'm thinking about my orientation and uh, how to take a test to find out what your orientation is. Who's behind this? Well, uh, the, the uh, Twitter account Lord Bebo notes that this is being financed by European NGOs. Uh, it was launched with uh, Rainbow NGOs uh, and its financial support is given partly by NGO, an NGO called Alma TQ, part of Transgender Europe, which actively promotes the transgender around the world. I couldn't find any links to BBC monitoring, but we know on the website, I think it's still an editor's choice, what they've been doing over the years in Kazakhstan, uh, using soap opera to tell people how to think and feel in the next generation, seems to be spreading. A couple of and finalists from me, uh, for, for meme, from meme land. One is I identify as a conspiracy theorist. My pronouns are told you so. And the last one from me, Linus Akenstam got a bit of an uh, a bit of egg on his face this week by tweeting out trackless trains. The one pictured is in China will make subways and trams obsolete. And of course, Twitter now has that nifty feature that you can add uh, context from from responses. So uh, the the popular response, which got appended to his tweet, and he can't get rid of it, says it's a bus. <laughs> Uh, brilliant. Alex, uh, thank you very much. What a crazy world we live in. Um, thank you also, Mark, for joining us. Uh, if you're a member of UK Column, where you can join us for extra time in a moment. But if you're a viewer, listener from anywhere in the world today, thank you very much for tuning in. We hope you found uh, our information interesting and uh, valuable. And we very much hope that you'll come on board and become a member with us. We must leave it there. But uh, if you can join us in extra time, where no doubt we'll be discussing much of the news, plus some additional items. We will see you then. Bye bye.